It's September 26th, 2010, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to the 100th episode of The Candid Frame. When I started this show, I don't think I was really thinking that I'd be around for nearly four years, much less would have interviewed as many photographers as I have, especially some photographers who I've admired my entire photographic life. This show is a labor of love, and the big reason I continue doing it is a very selfish one. It keeps me inspired about my own work. It's so easy to get caught up with the everyday challenges of life and work, and I have to admit, I'm guilty about letting those things take away time and energy from this thing I love so much. But each conversation I have helps bring me back to what matters, my passion and dedication to raising the camera to my eye and saying something special about the world that I live in. From the many emails and messages that I've received over the years, I know that this show has meant the same to many of you, and I'm grateful that despite the various technical hiccups I've experienced over the years, it has not dissuaded you from sticking around with me during this journey. Your patience and understanding and support has meant a lot to me, and I can't thank you enough for staying around and helping spread the word. You can show your support for this show this week in a variety of ways. You can, of course, make a donation through PayPal. That's always appreciated, but I would especially love if you would take the time today or this week to share this show with those who you know. You can do this in a variety of ways by writing a review in the iTunes store or writing a post on your blog, a post on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you have a web presence. Each thing that you contribute helps me to reach out to more and more people and provide this show the opportunity to be what has been for me and for many of you, a source to maintain your commitment and your passion for photography. One of the great things about this show that I love is that it provides me the opportunity to speak to some legendary photographers, many of whom I, I have inspired my walk as a photographer. Today's guest, Eli Reed, is definitely one of them. He first came to my attention when I was in college at Berkeley when I picked up a copy of his book on Beirut, Lebanon. It was a book that definitely left an impression on me, not merely as an excellent example of documentary photography, but because of the haunting beauty of so many of his images. It revealed to me that even photojournalistic images can possess beauty and emotion. He is also a very generous man, and I'm so pleased to have him as a guest on this, our 100th episode. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Eli Reed. Well, Eli Reed, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show and have an opportunity to meet with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I want to start off with the person who served as your mentor in photography, uh, Donald Greenhouse. I think a lot of people learn photography either in classes or in photography school. But from what I've read, Donald Greenhouse um, was a particular influence in your development as a photographer. And I'd like to start off by having you talk about that relationship and what it provided you uh, in your journey to become a photographer. 
Well, I, I met Donald. Um, I was waiting for a bus. Uh, I was living in New Jersey. I was waiting for a bus to go back to uh, New Jersey, and uh, I wasn't quite sure uh, the direction I should be going in. And we started talking while I was waiting for the bus. And he saw that I had uh, contact sheets and a camera, and and started talking about you know photography in general. And he said, asked me if I'd be interested in looking at some new work of his. And I said, yeah. And I ended up going to the studio. Uh, and looking at this amazing work um, done on a nursing home. And um, it was just extraordinary. And it's like it was the first time I met personally a photographer that was doing serious things, you know. And uh, he wasn't getting paid for it. It's something that was so important, and he did a fantastic job. But later, they ran a, a portfolio of this on the Walter Concrete Show, which is which was nice to see. I mean, you know, very powerful images, and uh, there was a place to show them. You know? So he became like almost like a second father to me. Um, I worked at his studio. I worked at the hospital, and then I'd go to the studio after work. And uh, I worked at night shifts. So I'd go to the studio and help him out, and um, then it was time to go back to work. <laughs> so I didn't sleep too much, uh, but that was, that was such a good time for me. So I learned so much. What were some of the what were some of the important things you felt you learned from him besides the technical things regarding photography? Well, you you look at pictures that are, or I look at pictures that were very powerful images of you know people, the, a lot of American photographers, you know, uh, uh, W. Gene Smith, you know, Bruce Davidson, um, Paul Fusco, and just pictures that that had an effect on you. It wasn't just those guys, but you know a lot of really good photographers that did meaningful work. And he he took me through the doorway because um, first you have to be brave enough to walk through the doorway, but just to know that the doorway exists, uh, that you can go to a higher level, that you can make photographs that, that touch people, um, you don't necessarily know that, you know. You're struggling with the mechanical things, and you know, you don't necessarily – it takes a while, I think, sometimes – to connect your private self, you know, uh, into the work that's, uh, that, you, that you put out. And uh, I said, I mean, I'm teaching at the University of Texas, and I'm, I'm trying to uh, follow through on, on some of those things I learned from Donald, a lot of things I learned from Donald. Um, I was actually able to get him here uh, uh, to give a lecture at one point, and he had a powerful effect on uh, a lot of young people the same way it affected me. And, uh, you know, it's learning about the truth and talking straight talk, you know. And we used to do a lot of just hanging out in the street also when we weren't working upstairs in the studio at the corner of, uh, of French Street and Green Street. And you watch the world go by and you watch people go by and we talk about, uh, the, you know, the meaning of life, but not in the way, well, let's talk about the meaning of life. We really talked about, you know, how it impacted you, talk about uh, news coverage, racism, uh, poetry, uh, the arts, um, you know, it, because all these things go into you, you're making work. And I think I had a discussion with someone, uh, it was yesterday. Well, it was, um, I also sort of, uh, uh, sort of unofficial advisor to the Daily Texan newspaper at the University of Texas. And one of the things is you learn about, um, you're trying to make a declarative statement with your work without being um, some obnoxious character. You're trying to understand the world as it is. 
and uh, it's it's a continuing thing. Every time, the more understanding that you are able to muster, uh, the more the further along you go in making sense of the uh, chaos that is the world. I mean, that's what artists or photographers do for sure. Or hopefully, uh, artists of all types. You try to make sense of what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, what other people are experiencing. And Donald took me into that world. When I, I mean, I'd read about you know things before I did a lot of reading, but to have someone talk to you and do critique on your work and, and tell you why this doesn't work or how, why that's getting better, uh, it was an extraordinary experience for me. Just knowing Donald was extraordinary. I heard you say once that that anyone can take a photograph, but not everyone realizes the challenge of making a meaningful photograph. Explain the difference between those two and what that means to you, particularly in your own work. Well, you can take a photograph of anything and just, you know, okay, you made a technically proficient photograph that's fine for most people. But there's so much more. And, you know, this it's like you take a photograph of somebody and uh, what what is it about this person that got you to make the photograph anyway? What's the uh, the underbelly of this person? The underbelly is not necessarily, oh, we're going to the dark side. It's just that the person has complications. Um, and, and you meet somebody, and maybe they fascinate you because there's, there's different layers about this person, layers that reveal certain truths, you know, that are valuable. Um, maybe what's good about this person or why, why you should care, you know. And I think that often, you know, you, go, you take a job or somebody takes a job, gives you a job, an assignment, and you go there and you make a picture that they've seen before. And you think think that you've accomplished what they asked you to do, and what they asked you to do, that what you just first what you first showed them was just an indication, an indication of okay, yes, this person can see beyond the pale, they can see more, but then you deliver a photograph that perhaps does not do that because you say, oh, it's just like the other one, so it's good enough, but that's not what you're supposed to do. You know, you, you have to really take it seriously, and you have to go uh, go try and make a photograph that, that reveals something of the person. It's not just the uh, surface of the photograph. It's, it's a lot more than that. It's, it's like when you make a photograph, you want to make some, something that, that will take the hand or the throat of the person who's looking at the picture and say to them, you know, this picture says that you're going with them. You have to go. And, and that's what a good photograph is. You can't get out of your mind. Uh, it's something that sticks with you and and, you, and maybe it, it inspires you. Maybe it lets you know uh, something about a world that you know nothing about. Maybe you didn't want to know something about it, but maybe it's important that you do sort of listen and look and see what's going on that you, and about the things that you didn't know about. So it's you know, photographs that move you. Those are the things that really mean something. Well, when you were starting out in your career, you obviously were, were focused more on learning the sort of the technical skills and and getting to that point where you were able to do those kind of photographs consistently but did you was there like a particular moment a particular assignment or even an individual photograph that made you feel like I am finally being able to tell photographs that tell those kind of stories that have that kind of impact well it, it really wasn't uh some there wasn't one one stray moment I mean, yet there were some moments. Uh, the first time I took a photograph 
that uh, you know, said that there's something else going on here. One was a, a photograph of a woman that I, I worked with um, at a recreation center in uh, Perth Hamlet, my hometown, and this woman had seen a lot of things. And I made this picture straightforward portrait of her. You could see there's a lot more, this intensity going on in her, in her head, you know, that uh, things that she had seen that were pretty tough. And the the other photograph that made a big difference to me, or was the beginning of something, was a photograph I took of a guy who's a hot dog vendor in streets of New York. I, I went to art school uh, there, and he was uh, he was situated a couple of blocks away from the school, and he was smoking a cigarette, sort of looking off in the distance, thinking about what I do not know. But I was ex I was excited when I saw the picture, and when I, when I well, I made the picture on instinct, and then later when I processed the film and looked at the print, you know, I made the print, uh, I was excited because he was looking at something beyond. I was digging a little bit deeper. Then running into Donald, well, I mean, I'm looking at all these pictures done by people that are, that are really good, you know, and that are, you know, sort of legendary figures now, and um, you still don't know how it applies to you. You don't, you know, you, you think... Or I have to go to maybe a war zone to make a reputation. But the biggest war zone you can go to could be right in your neighborhood, uh, right inside your mind, with, uh, working with people that are very difficult to work with, you know, and, and making photographs of them sometimes uh, helps you understand them, understand where they're coming from, and so you can move on. Um, it's, it's a long road. It's a long road. Uh, first uh, photo essay that I made for a newspaper, and it sort of, it sort of got to me that um, people are paying attention to this, people are being affected by this in a good way. So uh, you get a suspicion that you're getting closer to what you want to be. You want to make a difference in life. You don't want to be just, I was there. You know, it's not, who cares that you were there? Uh, what did you do when you got there? You know, that's, that's more important. I mean, you know, we all have uh, hopes and dreams and you know, I, I still dream about things that I haven't done yet that I hope I'll be able to success about successful and, and accomplishing those deeds. Um, I don't know if I will, but I don't really care. I'm gonna I'm gonna go anyway. I'm gonna do my best. Speaking of conflict, I you came to my attention for the first time uh, as a result of the work that you did in Lebanon. Tell us about how that came about and how your development as a photographer up to that point may have changed or or grown as a result of the time that you spent there photographing. Well, I um, I actually I was interested in what happens there because um, I I done work in Central America and you know there's things going on in Lebanon while in in El Salvador and countries like that and. I went on a fellowship at Harvard, a Neiman Fellowship, and I received, um, well, I took classes to do with uh, histories of various countries, history of China, history of Latin America, um, the history of um, history of war, so social analysis 116, um, history of war. And you, you get to see uh, how people do things. I took also things to do with politics and urban uh, affairs and uh, you want to know way to, how the world uh, works and first time I heard about uh, and the way that got to me uh, about Lebanon was something that's very simple 
somebody from the National Public Radio came to Kennedy School and, and talked about experiences covering war in, um, in, uh, in Lebanon. It's a war there. And he uh, mentioned something about how the networks had bought all the uh, taxis. Well, that's understandable. It's like moving around transportation. That's not a big deal. But then he also said they bought the phone company. Now, that's got my attention because bought the phone company. Yes, of course, it's for making sure you have communication. But that was sort of extraordinary that they bought the phone company. So, so then how does an average person uh, survive and live through the day and the night? Uh, they can't buy the phone company. They have to deal with the stuff all the time. And uh, that got my attention because it's a, it's a little thing, but it's an important little thing. I mean, how does an average person survive and live? And uh, I've always been interested in that. And I came to New York because um, I was still working with San Francisco Examiner. They hadn't had that experience before, a newspaper uh, photographer being invited to join Magnum and still working at the newspaper. So uh, I went to, uh, to meet the uh, editorial director at Magnum, uh, Rosemary Wheeler. And while I was waiting for her to get off the phone, she, she gets off and she says, I wish we had... Somebody, somebody in, in Lebanon, because the photographer, uh, Krista Perkins, was pulling out, and um, and so I immediately volunteered. Um, and I wasn't thinking, this is my moment. It was just uh, the things that had led up to that point, you know, um, told me that I should go. And so they they sent me to, to Lebanon, and that started a journey of trying to understand uh, people, um, what was going on. Because I really knew nothing about Lebanon, which is not the way to, you know, uh, do a story. But I was going from another level in my own head was that I, would, I wanted to be going from the heart, from the head of people that I was going to meet. Uh, it was going to be a real up to, upfront and personal uh, as much as I could, you know. I was willing to do whatever was necessary uh, to make that happen in a reasonable, a reasonable ethical way. And... Um, and that led to a lot of different things and a lot of understanding from hearing from Christians, hearing from Muslims that were there, and and you get a whole kind of picture of, of a, a decent picture of what's going on. And even then, you know, I, I thought later, I was a visitor there. It was like, um, it's like you're, you can go home, you know, you're a visitor. So it's, it's, it's a different kind of feel, and you start to understand that. But I did the best I could. And but it also uh, was sort of a, had an impact on my next project, which I was working on even then, which was uh, my book on Black America. Because my book on Black America took me really uh, 16 years to complete, because um, I didn't expect to get very much help from what I was trying to do. I did receive a couple of grants, but it just I just had to stick with it. And uh, my uh, the only person who really knew how difficult that was to do was uh, Donald and my uh, editor at Norton, w, uh, Jim Maris. Uh, Jim Maris, they're, they're the only people who really understood um, what I was going through trying to do that. But they're all interconnected. It's the connection from uh, Central America, covering you know, El Salvador and Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, you know, in Costa Rica, uh, it all came into, uh, they all had a, a connection, you know, with the work I was doing in Black America, which was, on the other hand, very, very personal. Um, and then going on to continuing work in Lebanon for the period of time I was there. Um, 
it never ends. It, there is a circle of life, circle of responsibility, maybe you can call it that, you know, but there is a circle that you keep on rolling through, and, and it doesn't ever stop, really. One of the things that always strikes me about your work, even if you're in areas where there are, you know, civil or, or cultural conflicts like there were in Central America or in the Middle East, is that you create opportunities to photograph in some of the more personal and intimate settings of people's lives. And I think oftentimes that's probably one of the bigger challenges of, of being a photographer is creating the access and the opportunities to be able to document that. Um, tell, tell, tell me about how that process um, of actually creating those opportunities played in, in the work that you produce for Black in America. Well, the, the thing is, um, the most important thing you can do is to actually be there. Um, that's the best way of saying it, because you can't, you know, you can make all kinds of plans to do this and do that, and it keeps on changing. So the best thing you can do is try to get there, get closer to what's going on. And, you know, if you can do that, things start to start to come out. Things, things, things start to get in line. And you, ha you have a, a better idea of what is, uh, what's really going on. And then your personal uh, relationships, like uh, talking to people, uh, walking the streets, um, and just watching, listening and watching, watching. And um, you know, you, it's it's like some people have come in there with, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to form this opinion because I know this, I know that. You don't know anything until you really walk in the shoes of the people that you're photographing. The only thing you can do is try to get relatively close to what's going on. Um, you can't you can't really uh, uh, be insistent and say it's going to work this way, it's going to work that way because it never does. The best uh, you can do is is opening up your heart and keep your um, your mind uh, open to to the things that you're going to see in here because they, they're not going to necessarily go along with what you think is going on. And if you don't understand that, you really are in deep, you know, deep trouble because this is like, um, how you say, it's, it's a really sort of an emotional kind of thing that this wear and tear on you, you know, like um, it's not something that just goes away and you, and you, and Whatever you experience and whatever you photograph, you're stuck with it for the rest of your life, whether or not you want to have it stuck with you. You know, and it, you know somebody says, "Well, you can just oh, get over it, forget about it." Those people obviously don't don't travel the same circles I travel in, you know, or they don't look or for the next thing. They just want they just don't they want they don't want something to help the to uh, to hurt them, you know. But you know, anytime somebody's being uh, smacked around or being mistreated. Um, somebody has to answer that. Somebody should. Everybody should know about it because human, the human beings will prosper when they go to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. There's no such thing as that. Well, everything is fine. Everything is okay. Everything. Just go quietly to the next room and ignore what you're seeing, or ignore what you're thinking. You know, it doesn't work that way. So how do you how do you express that? In, in a photograph, particularly when you may not be necessarily 
present in that particular moment where such an injustice or violence is is happening. And I think you're really good at it. But how, what is your thinking process in terms of creating images that reflect those issues that concern you in terms of, you know, violence or, or poverty or, or discrimination without creating images that are either cliche or, or um, you know, or, or over, you know, over the top? Well, uh, for one thing, it's you have to be able to do this. You got to get close. You got to get close, so close enough to listen to what's really being said, and, and to be able to look into the eyes of your subject and see what they're going through. That's always the moment of truth. When you look into the eyes of somebody that's going through hell, and when you look into their eyes, they can see: Are you really concerned about them? Are you just here for a cheap shot? You know, or uh, are you here to tell the story, sing, sing their song? And in a way, you are because um, you know it's it's like um, people go through all kinds of stuff, including including bad guys. How did bad guys get to be bad guys? Was there something in their in their soul, or something in their their growing up, or the way they were raised that got them to this particular place? I don't know, but I try to be accepting of almost everybody, just so you can you know it's it's like it's the only way you can really get close enough to them to get an idea to, like I said, to look into their eyes, you know, look into their soul. Um, and if you can, can squelch, uh, your own, um, oh, this is going on and that's going on. Just let it be, let it be, try to get close enough to really see with your own eyes, what's got happening or they hear with your own ears. Um, if you can do that, it informs the way you work. Cause we're not machines, you know, we're not uh, robots where it could say, Okay, push that button because this is what I've learned from this. You know, this is what I know. Push the other button to get a little bit more balance here. Push that button. That's for people who use Photoshop. <laughs> you know, I don't use Photoshop, actually. I use Aperture 3. <laughs> and um, what I'm saying, I use Olympus cameras because they're human cameras. They're humane cameras. They're cameras that I've used ever since Osawa. They're quiet to the point and excellent. And that's the only thing I worry about equipment. You know, it's like something that that uh, has a form that fits into what I want to do, what I want to see. I want to see the beauty of the world. I want to see the terror, if it's something I could do to help make it a little bit better, you know. And people that are that are in the dark places, meaning a lot of times the general public, uh, don't understand. Uh, and I think that somebody has a chance to be good, to be able to do something positive. And they, maybe they would if they see what's going on, you know. And, and um, I, I really believe that. I mean, that given half a chance, people want to do the right thing. I mean, you can have all kinds of tests that show they do this and that, but when it's real time, real players, okay, there's evidence that people have done and walked to the dark side. But there's also evidence that people have been fantastic and beautiful enough to make you want to cry because they really cared and they, they sacrificed a lot to be able to help at the right moment, you know? And, so it's, the world is an amazing place to me. It's really amazing. It never ceases to amaze me. And there are people that are very beautiful because their spirit says, I will do the right thing no matter what. You know, I will try, I'll do the best I can while I'm walking on this planet. So, uh, you know, I have to admire people like that. You've photographed some major events like the inauguration of Barack Obama, um, some political conventions. Events where there are a lot of people, where there's a lot of stuff happening, and it would seem like it's like you can't 
you cannot make a photograph at such at such big events because there's so much happening. But how do you maintain your focus to be able to find those kind of images that kind of work for you? Because I can imagine that you can get easily overwhelmed by everything that's happening around you. So how do you how do you remain focused enough to be able to produce the kind of photographs not only that you know someone who is hiring you is asking you to produce, but images that you know you you yourself need to make for yourself? Well, one thing that helps is to get out of your own way. Um, because uh, if you, you can always say to yourself, I can't do this, I can't do that, you know, there's always something going to stop me. Well, wake up. I mean, waking up in the morning is an amazing thing sometimes. There's always something there that's going to stop you. You have to take advantage of the time and the, that, uh, the piece of time that you're allowed to, to be at. It's it's like um, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll keep on saying it. You know, we, you know, I try it myself. I'm, I'm living in the past. I'm living in the present. I'm living in a possible future, and I'm trying to to touch onto that. I'm trying to keep hold of that. Now that means my expectations mean nothing. Um, so I try to keep that out of the way. That uh, you try to learn from what history you've been allowed to. To see, the present situation is a 360-degree book at where you're at at that particular moment, and somehow all those three elements come together. And I don't know. I don't know if I can consciously uh, uh, figure it out, but somehow I think some of the most successful uh, pictures I've made have dealt with that and uh, the awareness of time all the time. Um, and the best thing I can do, you look into um, I was thinking of one picture offhand, which is a picture I took in Harlem of these kids playing on an abandoned car. And that was their playground, right? And you think about, uh, well, I think about now, I don't think about then, but, you know, I think about now, um, how many of the kids have played on things like that, which is not what your normal j- jungle gym is going to be. And, and, um, uh, and what's inside there? Okay, the kids are playing there. Here's this one little kid that's sort of behind, sort of cuddling or protecting this this little top that's there. And then there's this older kid who's standing on top of the, the car, looking me dead in the eye with bravery in her eyes. And she, she's going to be somebody. She's going to be, I hope that somebody's dead, you know. Um, but she's going to be someone. That's There's a possible future there. I mean, not just the little baby who's being cuddled by somebody, you know, traditionally, you know, right by another little girl. But here's this other, this big girl. Who knows who she, she might end up being a uh, state senator or a senator or somebody who affects change in a good way in the future. Because she looked at me like proud and defiant. And like, I will, I mean, I was reading into this. Like, I will be, I am somebody. I will be something. And, and just remember that. And that's, you know, I, when I remember taking the photograph and then, Stepping away from it, I said, oh, my goodness, that was sort of interesting. And I didn't know how interesting it was until I looked at the photograph. Then later, that was shot in black and white. Now, the picture I shot in color um, uh, a few years ago when I was, of all things, the, you know the movie um, uh, American Gangster? Um, I was uh, sort of asked by the director, the first director, who uh, was, Direct move, but things changed, and then the, the next director came in. He asked me to photograph Harlem as if it was in the 60s or what was what it was like in the 60s. 
because he wanted that to inspire. He said the uh, you know the people who were designing you know about the costume and get the imagination going. And and my friend Bud Williams, uh, he, he who had met in Harlem at the uh, Harlem Rodeo, he had worked at the Daily News on his days off. If I was in New York, um, we just get together for breakfast at. Uh, at uh, at this restaurant, 135th Street, and we roamed through Harlem, and he knew everybody. And you know, since that time, he'd had a stroke, and it wasn't doing it anymore. But the Harlem in the '60s has always been there. And so I, I, I didn't go with a teamster. I just take a subway uptown to Harlem, and I just walk around, taking pictures. I'm taking pictures uh, reminiscent of the '60s because the 60s are always there. And, I mean, it, was, it comes out in so many interesting ways. But one of my favorite pictures that I took there was of this young uh, black youth at uh, the corner of 125th and Lennox. And, you know, I looked at this picture, and, um, well, that wasn't at 125th and Lennox. I don't remember what the street was right now. But he was, it was on 125th Street. And he was looking forward to, I don't know, what's his future going to be? Um, is it bright? Is it possible? Is he going to rise up to it? I don't know. But uh, that, that's the reason why it's one of my favorite pictures, because it asks a lot of questions if you look at it. I mean, this, is, this kid's looking off in the distance somewhere. Don't know where, but maybe it's someplace good. How much of your work involves you doing just what you just described, roaming roaming the streets, exploring with your camera. Is is that a, a good part of what you do, or is there more structured uh, design to to the moments where you're out there photographing? Well, I, I teach at the University of Texas, so it's, it's not like I'm in New York anymore, but that feeling is always there. I mean, I just send uh, Taipei, um, and I... You know, I, I wasn't able to uh, get out uh, the way I intended to, um, what I wanted to do, because I always had these responsibilities of uh, this lecture thing and this also this exhibition. Exhibition, but then the the, the last day I was there, um, I had uh, my friend Sandra Chen arrange for her her friend Francis. That took me to this Buddhist temple and going to the streets, and I was shooting. Anyway, I'm always going to shoot. I'm always going to do that. But as we went to this Buddhist temple, it was very interesting. You know, and I, I didn't really have that much of a con, uh, conception of, you know, you see pictures of people at Buddhist temples. But this was, like, different. This is a place to go, a place to stand and deliver, perhaps. And I realized that if I lived in Taiwan for any, any length of time, I would make it my business to always come back to this temple if I could, if I could get away with it once a week or at least a few times a week, and just to sit there and to commune with whatever. But that's part of your research, trying to understand a place, trying to understand uh, what's about. I mean, there's, it's, it doesn't matter that, you know, um, this is not like a, a high-tone, uh, uh, you know, department store or area where people live, but it is where people live. The people that were there from, from all walks of life. And uh, unfortunately, I was so exhausted and tired when I left. Um, when I got on the plane, I had to leave early because of the incoming typhoon, and typhoon, and I wanted to be back, make sure I was back in, in Austin to fulfill my responsibilities. If, if I hadn't left my dick, there was a possibility I might not be able to catch a flight and get back to the day, and this was last week. 
So I, I did, um, I did uh, intensively shoot for a couple hours, and you know, from things that I was seeing before, and I made some pictures that I liked, and I made pictures that I really liked there, and I accidentally, accidentally deleted them. But I have a friend. Actually, I have to call after we're finished talking. He's, uh, he knows how to uh, bring it back and get most of the pictures back. So let's see what, uh, what's still there. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm always, I'm always looking. I'm always on, on the hunt. You know, always looking for uh, different realities, shall we, shall we say, uh, different things going on. And, um, and it's consistently moving forward or changing, hopefully. And when I went to New Zealand uh, last uh, May and came back in June, uh, no, came back in, in May. I was there for a couple of weeks, but that was a real, a real change. It was a real, um, not so much a change. I was making photographs that were sort of similar, but I hadn't really put it in a concerted way into, into um, uh, one statement. And the statement felt good. I feel good about that. And it was, and it's also still teaching you that you have to take time for yourself sometimes, and and so that you can work and work finds you. You know that's. That's the thing. You go out looking for pictures, and if you do it right, the pictures find you. The photographs find you, and and you have something there to present. One of the one of the ways that you've made a living as a photographer is shooting stills for motion picture productions. Tell me about that process. Is do you find that that's harder or easier than what you typically do, or is it just different? It is different, and um, it's it's like anything that you want to do well, um, because there is um, how you say, um, uh, you know, like when I first got on a on a movie set, I didn't really know what I was doing, you know, but um, I worked hard like anything else, and you know, and I was I was shooting it like I was shooting um, uh, what do you call it, uh, a photo essay. And and um, the thing that was really good is that uh, you know I, I learned about you know what the the needs were and all that kind of stuff. And I remember Society of Motion Picture Still Photographers, which, and the reason for that is uh, is a, the, the group of the best photographers in the business that, that have an association. And um, you know the thing I've always loved movies, and I wanted to learn more about how it's done and what's the best way you can do that. Work on a movie, you know. It wasn't so much about the money. Actually, the funny thing is, part of the reason why I'm here in Texas is because I was working on a Ron Howard movie, and uh, Ron Howard asked uh, Tommy Lee Jones in front of me, um, what do you think of Eli's photographs? And he and Tommy Jones looked at me and said, I'd say the man's extremely overqualified. And, um, and he asked me, why do you do this? I said, well, I love movies, a good way to learn. And Ron Howard said, uh, made a sign like, and the money, you know. But it wasn't about the money. You use the money to resupply yourself with equipment that is necessary, you know. But I was learning a lot. And uh, I want, you know, I want to make movies myself someday, some days, and uh, someday in the future. And uh, I've been diddling around with it, trying stuff, uh, writing also. And the funny thing is, uh, you know, I've worked, been fortunate to work with Robert Altman before he passed away. And, uh, uh, Ron Howard, uh, John Singleton, you know Carl Franklin, uh, just all kinds of people and all kinds of interesting movies, you know. So it's, it's like an education, and it's uh, I like the being on the set because when you work in a movie, well, we become part of the family, 
uh, the crew. You know, so it is a family, and uh, you know, and it was like I said, a good experience. But I also realized I was not I was working too many movies, and I needed to um, change something, change something, so I could do more work that was meaningful to me. And so I, I stepped away from that when I started teaching at the university. Have you been playing much in terms of making actual maybe um, multimedia pieces or or short films using the capabilities of of the the EP one or the EP two that I, I I've heard that you've used? Oh, it's amazing! And I've shot I've actually I've shot a few things, but I've shot this uh, thing for a foundation, Ashoka Foundation, and it was. It was really good. I mean, they, they put it, edit together stuff they like, but I saw the potential, uh, possibilities as a good run through. Um, worked on this, uh, there's a uh, commercial about media that was done. I don't know if it even ran, but that was also interesting. Um, I've actually, when I, I went to New Zealand, I've shot a video which um, actually what I put together with original music. I've been working on a couple other projects to do with. Uh, with uh, photography and video with the EP uh, two and EPO, EP, EP one, EPO one. I I'm really fumbling over myself because I get excited when I think about what these cameras can do because they're they're small and you know I, I remember a friend of mine who's award winning uh, photographer, he's won an Emmy and stuff like that, uh, a director of photography. And he was amazed. He was really excited about the camera, and I'm even more excited now about the E five coming out. I can't wait to get my hands on one. So anybody listening out there. <laughs> because um, just reading what that thing can do and with the art filters in it, uh, and, and you can shoot, you can use the art filters any any um, uh, way you you want to. And I already have a, a whole millions of ideas with it, and it's a good sturdy, a tough camera. So um, I'm actually want to get working on that really fast. Um, the, the EP2 cameras are what they've been able to do. It's like. I think it's really, it's going to be one of those moments when people look back in history and see uh, a very important moment came when this camera came out. You know, like the, uh, the, uh, the pen camera, the original pen camera, like 1959 back there, was a sensation. And I think this is going to be more of a sensation because, uh, you know, a lot of people I'm talking to um, ask about the camera because it's, it's accessible and you can actually do some serious stuff with it. And they know if I'm using it, I'm not screwing around. I'm not playing games. It's, it, to me, it's real. I used a tool that I can use, and this is an amazing tool. So um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. This is an exciting time in, in photography. Really. Some people are, are frightened of it, but you should engage it. And, and I'm saying, thinking, uh, Robert Kaplan said a long time ago when, when he was doing his work that, you know, every photographer should have um, – I should have a, a, a movie camera. And those, he's talking about those bulky, I think for the most part, something like bulky 35 millimeter movie cameras, which is pretty big. Now you can do with, with a pen camera, you can do, it's, you can put it in your pocket, nobody knows it's there. You can whip that out and you can do a much better quality, with amazing quality with, with that, you know, and, and do something with it. So uh, it is exciting. It is exciting. I have a lot of ideas and things. Um, I'm trying to stick around uh, Austin a lot because I, I actually just met with a, a young man yesterday who's a student here who he and his friend uh, <clears throat> do this original music, and I think I want to work with these guys to have original music for the pieces I want to do. So it gets interesting. 
Yeah, I think that one of the um, more interesting aspects of, about about it is the way that images can now be distributed, whether they're stills, whether they're combinations of video or or, or whatever. And I think particularly for people who've done sort of documentary or socially aware work back in the you know 40s 50s and 60s and early even the 70s you had magazines like life and look that provided a venue for those for those images and a lot of those magazines have disappeared and especially now there's not much seems much market for it but in terms of you pursuing that that kind of work are you really thinking about where i'm going to be able to distribute it share it with people I think there are possibilities, but things are changing so fast. You got to keep an open mind and be ready to make the leap, you know. Um, and because of the internet, it's, it's uh, and and things like the the iPad coming out uh, again. You know, like you're saying, it's uh, it's a wide open uh, place to go to, and you can make. Uh, I, I have um, I, I teach a, a course at the military um, at uh, Fort Meade. And this is a, it's a workshop that's going to be 20 years next June. And, um, you know, each, each of the main teachers give a, a lecture um, on the first day um, about the work and approaches. And I, I consistently, every year, I introduce something new that I've worked on. And, um, and also during that time, they had classes at Fort Meade, you know, it's like, you teach photography, and then you go through that, and then you go through video. And uh, some some guys, uh, some people ask me to give a talk on these classes, which is you know, pretty common. You, know, you usually end up doing something like that. And I went in there, and this, the way it was set up, I couldn't really use the um, my laptop to uh, show, connect with the system to show the work I've been doing. So, but I talked to them about photography, and and the passion that you need, and various things, my approach to working on things. And I had the iPad with me, and um, I had a connector, but again, we couldn't connect it. So I said, uh, I started talking about some of the work I was doing, and I decided to pick up the iPad and ask them to all to gather around. So uh, they did, and they were fascinated by the iPad and the immediacy of having that. And and, and we talked about you know how important the video, putting video with uh, still photography together is, and how it's possible, and I, you know, I had the camera and the, the pen to and show it to them, and they were they were really ready to go. I mean, they were they got very excited by by it, and it, it's it's it opens up so many things to be able to do it. Um, it's it's absolutely amazing, you know. And um, I mean, I I think that um, just there's there's some place out there if you do extraordinary work. There's going to be some place out there that wants to uh, to use it. If you do work that's sensitive to certain issues, there are people who want to use it. I'm not talking about putting up, uh, um, you know, little pieces of paper on, on telephone poles. Uh, a long time ago, when I first got my when I got my first job, I remember a friend who's very politically uh, oriented toward you know helping and doing something of substance and. They said they felt sorry for me because I had to work for a newspaper, and I really didn't argue with them because I said, "Hey, it's the differences uh, when you're working. You have like maybe 500 uh, telephone poles you can put something to, as opposed to, heck, I was going to uh, Middletown Times Herald Record had a 
circulation of 68,000 people. Uh, so that's a lot more people that if you believe something and you believe and you do it with the truth in mind and without playing games, uh, that's significant. And then when I went to, after being there a year, I went to Detroit News where their circulation is 500,000 people. Now, I wasn't doing political diatribes or anything like that, but, the, you know, you photograph many different situations and including single stories or things they do daily and intensive total essays that also ran. And that's reaching a lot more people. And then someday they had like 900,000 people looking at it. Now, then I went to the San Francisco Examiner. I was aware that they were very, they were really good, very outstanding photography. I liked the way they did things. And that's a much smaller circulation than 500,000 daily. But at the time, it seemed like they would do stories that would get out there into the world, into a bigger, much bigger world. And that's what happened, you know. So, you know, there's always some place. I mean, that was then, but there's always some kind of thing coming out that people will see and have something with. Just even on Facebook, which I tried my best not to put any of my pictures on Facebook, because um, they, they like to claim it for themselves. You know, it's not bad. Uh, but, you know, you have to be careful what you put out there. And and yet, like, through Facebook, it made contact with so many more people. And people see pictures and, and contact with you through Facebook all the time. I always say, you know, something, a compliment or something, or just like, can you tell me about this? Which means I end up mentoring people that I'll probably never meet who are on the other side of the world. Just going to Taipei, uh, uh, there's a photographer that I got in contact with, uh, and, and, and Saigon, they contacted me, and I've been, you know, talking to them and on Skype and and looking at the work that they've sent, you know, and uh, um, somebody that was, you know, contacted Brazil, uh, contact with somebody from India who actually did manage to see me when I went to Milan for a quick, fast weekend shooting something, and they took the train to run a, some kind of uh, educational thing in, uh, about five hours away, and that's one of the few times where I actually met uh, uh, you know, somebody that I ended up mentoring uh, for a short time. So, you know, it's 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 um, it's a wide-open world. There's all kinds of possibilities, things that are coming out in, in movies and video. And the very first movie I, I actually worked on was The Five Heartbeats, and there's a sequence where these guys, The Five Heartbeats, are learning the dance. And I actually photographed that sequence that ran in the film. Um, and it's sort of funny because I didn't realize that what I had done was directed that, that section, which is what I did, you know, the, the way I decided to shoot it and and direct it, uh, you know, the way it goes. And and uh, there's just so many places that the work can go to if it's any good, if you really believe in it or if you have something to say that other people haven't seen. You know, um, I don't sort of worry. We're not, we're, uh, uh, let me just put it this way. Electricity has not left the room yet. We still have electricity. We still have, you know, the things that you that you need to get your stuff out there, telephone lines, or the internet, it's not dead yet, and I don't think it's going to happen um, for a while. As long as there's somebody else out there to want to look at what you have to say, or look at what you've wrought with your cameras, um, there's going to be a place to send those photographs. Well, the last question I always ask is, I ask the photographer who I'm speaking to to recommend or suggest one other photographer. It can be someone who you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that be for you and why? Oh, boy. That is a goodie. 
because there's a lot of photographers I admired. Um, I, I admired W. E. Dean Smith for his um, his humanity and how the importance of it. I, I admire my mentor in a big way. Uh, uh, John Isaac is is a guy. He's coming to the school next next week. I really admire him and and what he's done. And he worked for the UN for a long time. He saw a lot of uh, a lot of things, difficult things. And he's not just sitting down and and turning out the light and pulling the covers over his head. He's doing something like he's covering the uh, tigers in India, which is pretty amazing. Something for the planet. You know, it's not like. That's it's it's so important, and also when you have the expertise he has and the sensibility he has, to uh, you know, you know, you enlighten the rest of the planet with the photographs that you make. So uh, personally, you know, it's like he's a hard worker. He has a sense of humor, a sense of life, a joy to read. And you know, I, right now I'm looking out my window at a deer that just popped into view outside, and so yep, there's another one there too. With a baby, you know, and um, there's nothing more precious than that, and having understanding how precious it is, and that's what John uh, John shows him. I mean, I really admire him. It's like you know, you don't always uh, um, have the opportunity even to see somebody for a while, but they're always in your mind because they are doing things uh, of substance. There's a lot of magnum photographers that um, <clears throat> that are in the agency whose work I admired, who inspired me, you know. Before, like like Fusco, like uh, Bruce Davidson, you know Susan Masellos, you know the the work, the, the commitment they made, and that's what I'm seeing in John. He's like he's looking forward to seeing him next week when he gets here. Well, that's a wonderful suggestion. Actually, he was the very first guest on this show over three years oh. ago, so <laughs> it's it's a perfect recommendation. But thank you again, Eli. It was a it was exciting and a real honor to have you on the show. So thank you for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us again. Your comments and suggestions are always welcome. You can reach me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or by posting a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at twitter.com forward slash X. On Facebook or Flickr, links for each can be found on the blog. Till next time, this is X Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.